I would invite you to please pick up your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the portion of Scripture we read uh, together in Acts, Acts chapter 7. And as I said, looking at that section of Scripture, really from Acts 7, verse 54. Acts 7 from verse 54. Now, I'm not really sure what it says about the, about the human condition, um, but it's certainly true, isn't it, that when, we, when it comes to sort of literature or it comes to, to film, and that very often we prefer a sad ending to a happy ending, don't we? You know, give us, I don't know, the eventual submission to Big Brother in George Orwell's 1984. Or give us, I know, give us the death of Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. You know, give us that any time over a last line that will just say, and they lived happily ever after. We don't want that, do we? No. Well, if that is true of us, Uh, then surely it is with a a degree of fascination, intrigue, that we come to this section of Scripture today. Because as we end this account that's kind of occupied our thoughts for the last number of weeks, what we find is a sad ending, isn't it? What we find is a tragic ending as our hero, our main protagonist, Stephen, He is killed. He is martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ, right? And yet, okay, uh, we are uh, going to look at the section in the way that we normally do. We're going to look at a number of headings. Yes, there's going to be three headings. Perhaps it is just worth saying as we start out here that hopefully what we're going to be thinking about, what we're going to see in this section of Scripture is really the enmity or the antipathy that exists in the world towards Jesus Christ and his followers. We'll see that. But hopefully we will also see how we should, as Christians, respond to that that type of hostility and antagonism. So that's what we're going to be thinking about. Let's make a start. Let's think about our first heading here, and that is the hatred toward Jesus Christ. The hatred of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm saying that we're coming to the end of this section of Scripture here, okay? Now, what we've seen, we've seen Stephen, and he's been put in chains, hasn't he? Because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we've kind of seen the, the whole crowd, you know, the population of Jerusalem kind of rise up against Stephen. Then we've had this trial. And the important thing about the trial is that we've seen lots of false witnesses come into the trial and they've lied about Stephen. Then we've seen this section where Stephen is given a chance to speak. Okay, he's got a chance in this trial to speak and give us his testimony. And, and what does he do? Doesn't defend himself, does he? Remember that? Instead, he points to Jesus Christ. But I think it's here and what we're looking at this morning that what we see is the anger. You know, this bitterness towards Stephen. We see it boil over here, really overflows. Because, friends, I think what we've got here is Stephen being interrupted, don't we? He's he's interrupted. You see, he said to the Sanhedrin at the sort of culmination of his argument, he said, remember that, he doesn't pull his punches, does he? 
And he says, you're a stiff-necked people. And he says, uncircumcised hearts. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. He says all this. But then he says, you see it? He says that they're breaking the law of God. And when he says that, you know, that's when the, the bomb goes off. You know, the Sanhedrin cannot handle that. And they sort of jump in and interrupt him. Do you see it in verse 54? It says, when they heard this, this accusation that they are lawbreakers, when they hear this, they just, enough's enough, and they react with rage. And look at the terms. I mean, these guys, verse 54, they were, what does it say? They are furious, and they are gnashing their teeth. Expressions that are usually reserved in the Bible for the wicked's snarling hatred of the righteous. So we're seeing that these people, this Sanhedrin, they were raging, weren't they? But you know, if anything, it gets worse, doesn't it? Because when Stephen begins to speak of this glorious vision that he has of heaven, the Sanhedrin just lose the plot. I mean, Act 7, doesn't it begin to sort of resemble a horror film, you know? I mean, it's a scene of madness here. In fact, do you know what it's like? The Sanhedrin here, they're like my kids at home. Because my kids do what all other little children do. What does my little boy do when he's been teased by his sister? What do all kids do when they're being teased? La, 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 la. I can't hear you. Look at verse 57. All this talk of Jesus, all this hatred, the Sanhedrin, they cover their ears. They yell at the top of their voices. They're furious. And do you see how this ends, all of this? Do you see? Such is the, such is the anger, such is the loathing here that these people, now what have we said? They pride themselves on being law-abiding, law-keeping people. What do they do? Well, they exceed their authority. They break Roman law. They don't even wait for a verdict from the Sanhedrin. And they take Stephen, they drag him through the streets, and they stone him to his death. This is a scene of pure, unadulterated hatred of Christ and hatred of his church. But what is it that we should be taking out of this? What should we be thinking about here? Well, I um, remember as a, a young boy, I was staying up one night uh, to watch TV, and uh, I was flicking between two different TV channels. And this was a long time ago. And so on one channel, what you had was a Michael Jackson concert. I was watching that. And I was flicking between that and this huge sort of lively, uh, all singing and dancing Christian concert stroke service thing that was going on as well. And what struck me watching this as an unbelieving teenager was really the sort of similarity between the audiences. You know, in both this concert, Michael Jackson concert, and this big lively Christian services, the audiences were doing the same thing. You know, and there was a lot of hands in the air and a lot of swaying about and a lot of screaming going on. Some people fainting and being pulled out. 
the audiences were indistinguishable from each other. And you see, very often the same charge could be leveled against us, couldn't it? The same charge could be leveled against the modern church, that we are almost indistinguishable from society, from the people around us. Now, that, the fact that we're indistinguishable, that leads to problems. That leads to problems with our witness. Yes, sure, we know that. But that we are indistinguishable from society also can lead to shock and surprise for us sometimes too, can't it? See, because we have so much in common with the people around us, we can, we can be really taken aback. We can be really shocked when, when these people who look like us in every other way, they begin to show us or demonstrate some sort of hatred of Christ. Shocks us, doesn't it? I mean, it shocks us when the people that we work with, they're so like us. But it shocks us when they show anger towards Jesus. We're shocked by the brute rage of, of militant atheism, aren't we? Surely we are. I mean, we're, we're shocked, we're taken aback by the hatred shown toward the gospel of liberal wings in Christian churches. These things, they shock us. They, sometimes they shake us to the core. But you see, some, really, if we're thinking properly about these things, if we're thinking biblically, if we're thinking scripturally, we should be prepared for that reaction. We, if we're thinking biblically, we should see that the world is at spiritual war. It is. That there really are only two sides going on. There are those who love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and there are those who, because of their sin, they stand in hatred of him. And what, what we see here with this episode of Stephen and the Sanhedrin is that the more people hear about Jesus Christ, the more extreme their reaction will become. I mean, think about the Sanhedrin here. Okay, they're, you know, they're angry to start with. Yeah, right enough they are. But it's only after Stephen begins to talk of this vision of heaven. It's only after he begins to talk more and more about the glory of Jesus Christ that the Sanhedrin here, they, they snap and they, they go mad. And friends, the brutal truth is we should expect the same thing. You know, praise God that sometimes when we talk to people about Jesus, when we talk more and more and more about Jesus to people, praise God, sometimes we are going to receive the most marvelous positive reaction. You know, we talk about Jesus Christ sometimes. People are going to be saved. But at other times, when we witness for Jesus, the reaction is going to be the other way, isn't it? It is going to be intensely negative. There may even be this irrational, violent hatred of what God has done for the world. We should be prepared for that. You see, in some ways, the Sanhedrin here they help us because the Sanhedrin remind us of the reality of the spiritual war that we are engaged in. And really, friends, the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 10, 22 are as relevant tomorrow in your workplace and they are as relevant on Friday night with your friends 
as they were when he first spoke them. Do you know the words? Do you know what Matthew 10, 22 is? Shall I tell you? Jesus said, the world will hate you because of me. We see here the hatred towards Jesus Christ. Now, here at London City Presbyterian Church, look around, we're a mixed bunch, you know, we're from all over the world. And because of that, as we've said before, there's always quite a few people in the congregation who are learning English. So quite a few people who are not, yes, I know what you're thinking, I was going to say, there's quite a few people who are not quite fluent in the English language yet. You can see the Scotsman at the front is one of those people. I know. Uh, But because of that, what can happen uh, in conversation is that our attention, it might be drawn to a sort of particular phrase. Our attention might be drawn to a particular English idiom, especially if the person that we are speaking to doesn't quite get it right. You know what I mean? Well, there's something similar here in Acts chapter 7. Because there is a phrase that we read that we are supposed to be drawn to, not because it's wrong, okay? But there's a phrase in these verses that we're supposed to be drawn to because it is very slightly different to this phrase that we are very, very used to hearing. I wonder if you're with me, if you can see it yet. You see, all the way through the Bible, we encounter a similar idea and a similar phrase, okay? So, Romans 8, you've got, The idea, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. You've heard that before, right? Yeah? Mark 16, you've got the same thing. Psalm 110, we've just sung it. Something very similar. Okay, Even the Apostles' Creed says, Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. We have all, if you're familiar with church, been here before, you have heard that similar expression. Okay, hang on though. Have a look here. Verse 7. Stephen has given this amazing, unique vision of heaven. And what is repeated here for emphasis? Do you see it? Jesus is not seated. Verse 55, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. And so what I want us to do under this next heading, not the hatred of Jesus Christ, but the standing of Jesus Christ, is really simply to ask Why was that? Why was Jesus standing here? And there are a few suggestions, there's a few possibilities, and each of these, let me say, has some degree of merit. So the question, why is Jesus standing? Well, um, I'm not sure really how concerned we are these days in the 21st century with etiquette or politeness. I don't know. But uh, certainly, usually it's the case, isn't it, that let's say a visitor comes to your house and let's say your spouse or your flatmate, they open the door and they show this visitor into where you are in the living room. The usually polite thing to do would be uh, to get up and to welcome that person into the house, right? That would be, I'm sure you'd agree, hopefully, the expected reaction. Well, Do you see that as perhaps part of what we've got here in Acts chapter 7? Because think about it. I mean, Stephen is suffering here. 
to me? I mean, he is suffering to the extent that he must know at this point that he is about to be killed, that, it is, that, that, that death is coming. He must know that. And so what happens? The Holy Spirit fills his heart. The Holy Spirit gives him this vision. He sees heaven and he sees his Lord Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus Christ doing? Jesus Christ gets to his feet. He stands. He is ready. He is waiting to welcome his servant into his new home. And we read here, don't we, that that heaven is open. It's ready to admit him. And we read that Stephen cries out, Jesus, will you receive my spirit? Jesus stands. He gets his feet. He welcomes Stephen into glory. Okay, but perhaps another reason that Jesus gets to his feet here, and it's more somber, friends, is that he stands here as judge. See, I think if we take a step back from this section of Scripture, Acts chapter 7, we really look at it with with new eyes. What we see is that there is a great, what do you call it, a miscarriage of justice going on here, isn't there, with Stephen? I mean, here's a guy who has been lied about. All these false witnesses brought in to speak against him. Here's a guy who has been killed unjustly. And so when he looks to heaven, what does he see? What does he see in glory? He sees Jesus stand. He sees Jesus adopt the pose of Isaiah chapter 3, where it says the Lord takes his place in court. And what does he do? He stands to judge the people. You see, Stephen need not worry here because justice, ultimate justice, will eventually be carried out. Jesus stands to welcome. Jesus stands to judge. And then there's one last suggestion as to why Jesus adopts this unusual pose. Let me say to you, I think that this is most likely I think this is most important. Please hear it. Jesus stands here to intercede on Stephen's behalf. He stands to intercede on Stephen's behalf. You see, again, if if we step back and we look at this, not in chunks, but as a whole, I think what we find in Acts chapter 7, this whole episode with Stephen, what we find is an element of vindication from God going on. Now, cast your minds back. Do you remember we saw that before? Where Stephen's, where God illumined Stephen's face before the Sanhedrin. Do you remember that? He vindicated him. Well, again, this has just been added to here, isn't it? Because here's a question. Here's a, here's, a, here's a test for your memory. Can you remember last time when we were looking at this, what we said this whole court case was about? What's this whole episode about here? Do you remember? Stephen is being accused of speaking against the temple. The temple. And he has gone to all this great length in his argument in his speech to say, No, you fools! You're getting it wrong! Relationship with God, reconciliation with God, it's not about a temple. It's about his son, Jesus Christ. That was his argument, wasn't it? And now what happens? Now... He looks heavenward. Heaven opens. 
And he sees divine vindication of that. He sees the son stand next to the father. He sees the son speak on his behalf. He sees him act as advocate before the father. Isn't it wonderful? And really what we're seeing there is the essence, the core of Christianity, aren't we? That Christianity is not about smells and bells. And that Christianity is not about being nice to people. And it is not about being good to people. But the message of Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. And seeing that only through him can we be restored to the Father. And you see at the end of this morning's service, that is what we are going to be celebrating, isn't it? We're going to have a baptism. And we are going to be celebrating that someone new has seen this. That it is all about Jesus Christ. That that person has repented and believed on him. And that they know that come the day of judgment, that Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to speak on their behalf. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus stood for Stephen? That on the day of judgment, Jesus will stand for Sina. And of course, the question that I ask you is when that time comes, will Jesus get to his feet for you? Do we see the hatred? Do we see the standing? Lastly, let's consider the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, remember what we've got here. We've got one angry crowd. And there is, I suppose, an element of, what would you call it, unity or collaboration in this anger. Because look at it, it says that all of them, you know, the whole Sanhedrin, they all rush at Stephen, such as their anger, and they, they all grab him. And they all take him out of Jerusalem, outside the city walls, and they start throwing these boulders and these stones at him. Right, here we go. This is the thing we need to pick up on as we close. How does Stephen respond to this hate-filled onslaught? How does he respond to all of this? And look at it. I mean, what we find is truly amazing, isn't it? Because what Stephen does, I mean, he is in such a predicament. What does he do? He asks God to forgive his persecutors. Now, just let that sit there. I mean, he's bleeding, and he is on, now on his knees, we are told, the force of these stones raining down on him. And he's in agony, and we know that he is dying, and he's got breath for his very last words on this earth. And what are his last words on this earth? Verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He asks God for their forgiveness. And what we're seeing there is a message that we as Christians must never, ever lose sight of. And that is that even if people hate you for Christ, even if people reject Jesus, 
that we must love our enemies. You know, that even if people in your life just now are showing great hostility towards you, even if they are hating you, hating you, that we must still pray that God would glorify himself through the salvation of those people. Now, here's the thing. As I say that to you, that you should be praying for these people who are antagonistic, that you should be praying for their, their salvation, what do you think? I mean, do you think, that's fine to say, but it's just fanciful? Are you sort of thinking, the people in my life are just way too set against religion to ever, ever contemplate coming to Jesus Christ? The, the people, my friends, they're far too, they're so concerned with being cool, there's no way that they're going to even consider bowing to Jesus Christ. Is that what you're thinking, is it? Do you think like that? If so... Look at chapter 8, verse 1, and see who is there. Who was there? Saul was there. Saul was there. Stephen, he loved his enemies. He prayed for their forgiveness. And what happened? God answered the prayer. Stephen loved his enemies. He prayed for their forgiveness. And God forgave Saul. Stephen loved his enemies. He prayed for their forgiveness. And millions and millions and millions and millions of people throughout the globe would come to Christ because of that. It's brilliant, isn't it? He is such an example for us of love in the face of hatred. And I tell you this, we should follow the example of Stephen. Why? Because he was following the example of Christ. Because he too when falsely accused, he too, Christ, when dragged out of the city, he too, when facing execution, he too prayed. And what did he pray? He prayed, yes, that heaven would receive his soul. But he also prayed for the forgiveness of his persecutors, for the forgiveness of his enemies. So now, where are you? Do you still think it's a tragic ending. Because I'm not so sure. I'm not sure. See, because what we find as the crowd stone Stephen violently to death is that the Bible, Scripture, speaks of this death in the most loving and gentle way imaginable. I mean, he's been stoned to death. And what does Scripture say? Stephen fell asleep. And what we know, because Stephen loved Jesus Christ, is that Stephen would soon awake from the sleep of death. And when he awoke, his Lord would be standing before him. And his Lord would welcome him into his new and eternal home. Let's pray.